Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami, and I'm glad you've chosen today to tune into this, our podcast. As we go through the series, The Journey, I look forward to you discovering how you can find the Father in the journey and in the destination. God bless you. Pastor Phil last week talked about uh, let God arise and let the enemies be scattered. Remember that? And we talked about, oh, magnify the Lord and those things that we magnify are the things that get bigger in our lives. So we kind of have a choice on what we allow to to be prevalent in our lives. We can focus on the negative things in our lives or we can focus on the one true and constant good in our lives and that is our God that fit perfectly in this journey that we're on. But I was thinking as I was looking at John 14, 5 through 6, which is kind of our theme scripture going into this. Let's look at that real quick together. It says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, of course, if we're on this journey, we've got to know the way, right? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is the way, if the journey or the destination as we looked at week one is the Father, then that would tell me in today's title, how do we get there together? That would seem to be a pretty important question to ask and maybe an important question that together we could answer so we could get there together. Psalm 34 verses 1 through 3, this is written by David and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes It's boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify. This is the scripture that Pastor Phil read last week. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So there's got to be some form of a togetherness that comes with us. And when we do this thing together, there's got to be some form of a magnifying of the Lord that happens. And hopefully through the next few moments as I show you a journey that we're going to go on as we wrap up this series, The Journey. By the way, our next series is already coming together called Permission. Ooh, maybe that will pique your imagination for a minute. And we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Next week, I don't know if I'm going to start the series or if I'm going to wait a week, but we're going to begin to look at the idea of the things that God has given us permission to experience and to be part of. And it's going to be pretty broad. And we might even concentrate on those things. I'm going to use this word that Damon Thompson uses, and I'm going to be careful not to get hung up in it. We're going to even focus on those things that is illegal for us as believers to get hung up in as we focus on the things that we have permission to do. But coming back to this, one of the things that we're going to look at in our journey at wrapping up today is how do we get where we are going together? I could probably have taken that sentence, uh, that question that's this long, and brought it all the way down to one word, and that one word is unity. Unity. You see, in Acts chapter 1, we read the latter part moving into Acts chapter 2, a New Testament believer's passion of, or 
portion of the scripture that oftentimes is their favorite, especially in the charismatic or the Pentecostal church, reads like this, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. It says, then they, this is the disciples, these are those that have watched Jesus crucified. They've watched him actually, uh, they've gone to an empty tomb to not find Jesus there. They've gathered, they've seen Jesus appear miraculously in a completely sealed off locked room where there was no way anyone could have come into the room. And all of a sudden he, as, as though he walks through the wall and he appears before them and he, he, he makes himself uh, uh, reveals himself as uh, a resurrected many, many times. And, and now he has uh, come and he's, he's told them what they must do now that he is getting ready to go and sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he's going to send a comforter. And he says, until I can send that comforter, I want you to go and wait. And he tells them where to wait. So we've got this setting of the, the disciples. They've watched Jesus ascend into heaven. He's no longer uh, physically present with them and they are now waiting in this room and it says they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey away from where they just watched Jesus ascend and when they had entered they went to the upper room uh, many say this is the exact same room where they had gathered for the Passover meal with Jesus just moments before he was uh, uh, turned over to be crucified through the betrayal of Judas Iscariot and they entered they went to this upper room and they where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, different Judas, not the one that betrayed Jesus for Judas at this point, the one that betrayed Jesus has uh, gone and hanged himself, committed suicide, Judas the son of James, all these in verse 14 with one accord were devoting themselves to pray together with the woman Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So we've got this laundry list of who's who in the New Testament all gathered in this room. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons in this room totaled about 120 people. So we can imagine the room was probably a little bit smaller than the room we're in today, right now, this very room here. And there was about 120 people in there. Can you imagine? It was pretty cramped. I couldn't put 120 seats in here and people be happy. That's just the way it is here in America. I couldn't put 100 chairs. I could probably get 100 chairs. This is, this is uh, about, let's see, 48 minus 6 is 34, 2, 32. There's my math skills. 42. I knew that didn't sound right. See, my math skills are fantastic. But I got 100 on the posi test in that section. Yeah. On the math section, go figure. Yeah, woo! 75 in oral communication. Yeah! No, written communication. Yeah, anyway, shut your face. Um, so anyway, uh, they were in a room a little bit smaller than this, 120 of them before deodorant and daily showers. Yeah, so, and here we are. Verse 14. Back up. It says, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, I'm looking at a room right now, and there's not a ton of us in here, but I'm thrilled for those of you who are in here. But I can imagine that there are, counting the kids, 10 or so of us in here. And I bet you there are 10 or so agendas in the room. 
10 or so purposes in the room. I bet we all came in here with our own separate individualized goals for today. 10 or so individualized plans, dreams, hopes. But you see, in here, in this room, they had been sequestered for a number of days seeking one thing, one purpose, one goal. They were not in multivision. They were in one vision. The Bible says they were in one accord and they were devoting themselves to one thing. They were praying. That leads me to my very first point on how do we get there together? We pray the same prayer. It must be important that we discover what prayer are we praying? As a church, what prayer are we praying? Now, I understand that we have our individual ideas and our things that we are praying. That at some point, we're praying for the health of our child. That was a real thing this week, wasn't it? At some point, we're praying for the health of our business. That's a real thing on a daily basis. At some point, we're praying for a job or we're praying. And those are all things that we have to and need to and should be praying. We're told to bring all things to God. We're told that we can seek Him in prayer. And the word that we hear in the Bible is supplication. That's a, 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 a theological word for just requests and 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 going after God and requesting things. And and so we can do those, but when we come together and we seek God in this unified idea, what is the one thing that we can get on the same board and that we can uh, uh, pray together? And maybe that is that we pray for a specific move of God. Maybe we pray for our city in a specific way. Maybe we take time to pray at a moment for a specific person in here. When I opened the message this morning, we prayed for the McChesney household. And I wonder how many of us were truly praying or were we just there? I don't know. I'm not pointing anyone out. But I just wonder, can we all pray the same prayer? Can we gather on Wednesday nights together and after we have gorged ourselves on food and sit there in total fullness, can we pause for a moment and can we get on the same page? Can we put the cares of this world aside? Can we set aside uh, the outside world for just a moment? Can we seek the heart of God together and can we pray the same prayer. Let me back up, if I can, to the Old Testament and look why it is so important. Really, it's not an Old Testament story as much as it is a psalm that we read in Psalm 133. It's a song of ascents. It's of David. David says this. He says, Behold, something to capture, something to gaze upon, something to witness, and not just witness, but something to experience. Behold, how good, and I like this word, and pleasant. It is when brothers, and we could say sisters, but when we all in this room, brothers being people of the same bloodline, and when we come into the presence of God and we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden we become part of the same bloodline. When brothers, they dwell in unity. 
This isn't a momentary thing. This is a continual thing. We stay in unity. It's unity upon unity. It's a building block. It's a place of growth together of like mind. I'm saying we're not the Borg, if you know what I'm talking about. We're not in in this uh, conforming, brainwashing place, but it is definitely in this unity, hanging together, building each other up, saying the same thing, going after the same purposes. And it says in verse 2, it's like a precious oil. Imagine this picture for just a moment. It's like a precious oil on the head, and it's running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar and of his robes. It's like the dew of Haram, which falls from the mountains of Zion. From there, the Lord has commanded, listen, from there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. You see, when people gather together in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. See, when we say and we pray the same prayer, when we get on the same page, then there is a commanded blessing. God gets behind what we're doing and he blesses it with a command. I want to be part of something God is commanding a blessing upon. I don't know about you. I want him to bless our efforts. I want him to bless our church. I want him to bless your business. I want him to bless what you do. I want him to bless your household. I want him to bless everything about this community and the way that we can see it. This isn't a maybe he will. This is a definitive situation here where God commands. It's not maybe, it's definitely he commands a blessing. The commentator describes this oil, this this like, the simile that's right here that of of brothers coming together in unity this way. Albert Barnes says it like this in looking at verse 2, the precious oil on the head running down the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar. Listen to this description. I loved it so much. It's as possible, he says, though it may seem like a conceit that the psalmist may have had an idea of unity in this as in the anointing of a high priest. The whole man, every inch, the whole man was consecrated or was united in the Consecration. It was not merely the head, but the beard, the, the raiment, the, the entire person that partook in the fragrance of the anointing oil. This, thus, love in a Christian community is so abundant, it's so overflowing that it spreads over the spiritual body, the church, the same sweet and holy influence it represents by the oil of anointing. It pervades all and it combines all in one. It's not just a couple drops. All of it. So if we pray the same prayer, and then the psalmist says that it's pleasant when brothers dwell in unity, then how else do we get there together? My point number two, we dwell in unity. Dwell in unity. We pray the same prayer. We dwell in unity. I want to look at an interesting Old Testament account of the importance of unity. You see, the Israelites have gone through 
some interesting things. They've been in captivity in Egypt for a number of years and they've watched plague after plague after plague come against the Egyptians only to be protected by their their Savior. Uh, Though we can type and shadow the Savior, that just means that we can see to the future coming of the Messiah. His name would be Jesus. And we can point to all kinds of pictures that show how he would be crucified, that point to all kinds of pictures of how he would come and, and things like that. But they've watched and they've, they've, they've sacrificed a, a, a perfect lamb, or nearly perfect lamb, and they've put the blood on their doorposts. And the, the, the death angel, the Bible talks about, comes at night and, and kills all the firstborn male children except those that had protected their home by this sacrificial lamb. It sounds a lot like what Jesus does. And, and, then, and then Pharaoh loses his son. And after all these things, he says, just go. And, and all the Israelites leave the land of Egypt and they go on this journey only to come to buy a body of water that is keeping them from going even further. And here comes the Egyptians after they've had a change of heart. They've come to either take back the Israelites or they've come to maybe destroy them. We don't know. Only to find that if they step out in faith, the water of this body would be separated and they'd be able to walk across to the other side on dry ground in a matter of in- moments and as they get to the other side the Egyptians would go into the body of water the water would come down upon them annihilate their enemy and the Israelites would move on they've watched manna from heaven fall that's just their their daily provision for food they've watched quail they've seen the mighty mighty move of God in many many different ways and they're coming to what they are seeking it's called the promised land and and so Moses says to these 12 spies I want you to go into the promised land and I want you to report back all that you have seen and come back and tell us everything they go into the land and they look around and they see abundance they see fruit like crazy they see all kinds of amazing things but they also see what they call uh, I think the word is um, well they see giants Who cares what they call them? We'll read it here in just a minute. They see giants and they see things that are bigger than them and they can't see past how big these things are uh, to see how big their God is. Their perspective was shot and they come back and they report some things. Let's look at Numbers 13. Numbers 13, I don't have this on the screen. Uh, Numbers 13 or else I would have had like an 80 page uh, slideshow today. It says, at the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back the word to them and all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land. They told them, we came to this land which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak or Anak, however you want to say that. This, these are the same people, by the way, that Goliath was a descendant of. So these are big people. Goliath was, was said to have been like 10 feet tall, and he wasn't skinny. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell in the sea along the Jordan. So they brought back some pretty cool stuff, but what did they see? Remember when I read earlier, opening up the, the impromptu little just, we'll call it a homily, the little teaching about why we worship. And I said, we don't need to focus on 
that. We need to focus on what God is taking us to, not what he's delivered us from. In that moment, they brought something that God was taking them to, but they couldn't get past the, the giants. So we've got 12 spies, right? Caleb, though, he, he steps in and he quietened all the people before Moses. And he says, let us go up at once and occupy it. We are well and able to overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Wait a minute. Do we see a group of people that are in unity? No. We've got 10 guys. You'll, we'll later possibly see that. But we've got 10 guys that say, we've got fruit, but we've got giants. And then we've got a couple other guys that say, we got fruit, but we got a big God. Now, can you imagine if we as a church were to come together and some of us were saying, we got a big God. We can do whatever God calls us to do in this city. We can take it by force. We can accomplish all kinds of things. We can overcome principalities and powers and spiritual darknesses. And we can do great and mighty exploits for God. And then we can have other people in this room that could say, hey, there's great places that we can do. We could put a building here. We could do this and we could do that. But we cannot overcome those things because they're just too big. We couldn't accomplish jack squat as a church. But if we all came together and we began to see how big God was, we would be able to see some great things together in unity. But look at what goes on in here. It says, they, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able, this is verse 31, to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought, or yeah, they brought out the people, or to the people, of Israel, a bad report of the land that they had spied out. Caleb didn't bring a bad report at all. The ten did. The land, though, through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Remember, they were seeking the promised land. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who are from Nephilim. And we see ourselves like grasshoppers. We will not, as a church, see ourselves as grasshoppers in this land. I don't care how big the obstacle looks. I don't care how impossible the land might seem to overcome and take. I don't care what we face. We face a God at our side. We don't face him. He is at our side facing them with us. And there is nothing greater than our God. You see, as a result, the Israelites had to wander in the desert for 40 years. An an entire generation had to die off before they could go into the promised land. Do you realize of all of these people, every last one of them, except... Except... For Caleb and Joshua didn't go into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua reported that we could. Everyone else said we couldn't. No one went into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. You see where God commands a blessing? Let's look just one chapter over into Numbers 14. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
the whole congregation said to them, would we that we had died in the land of Egypt? They were, they were saying it would have been better to have died where we were. Or would we have died in the wilderness? Would have been better to die in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will come to pray. Not this kind of pray, but like be hunted and shot pray. Would not be for us to go back to Egypt. They said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell to their faces before the assembly of the congregation, the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. It's a fun word. Kind of my name. Don't call me Jephunneh, okay? It's just not going to happen. Who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to the congregation of the people, the land which we passed through to spy is out. Spy it out is an exceedingly good land. It is the Lord, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey, only not to rebel against the Lord and not to fear the people of the land that they are, they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. They are, do not fear them. So there's Jacob, Caleb, talking about we can go. Listen, point number three. Those 12 spies communicated the same vision in the will of God. They wouldn't have had to wander for 40 years. Number three, we have got to communicate the same vision. We have to communicate the same vision. Who's doing, are you, are you doing the slides? Go to, go to our, just our logo. So let me communicate vision for a minute. I know I'm probably going a little bit long this, I'm, ooh, we are going long this morning. Praise God. Yeah, we did. So we're, we're on track. Yeah, bow time. So here's the vision of Word of Life Miami. You realize there's a lot of people in northeastern Oklahoma that have, that have known God but have fallen from God. There's a lot of people that have never known God. Oh, I've mentioned almost everybody. You realize that there are people that are called by God and he wants to engage them back to his heart. We are called here. Vanessa and I are called here along with you all to engage people back to the heart of God. That's first and foremost. The Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. We were all born with a desire, whether we recognize it or not. We're born with a desire to know God. He knew us. We knew his goodness. When we were born into this earth, we were born seeking to find him. And that's where we are here to help people engage to him. And then when we get together, when we truly grasp some of these things we're talking about today, when we grasp that Psalm 95 and 96, there's this encounter that takes place. Where we don't seek to see him. We don't seek to experience him. He seeks to be experienced. You follow that? We can encounter him. He is a tangible God. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That means there's got to be some aspect of this God that I'm talking about today that we can get our hands on and we can experience and we can feel. We may not be able to see him like I see this chair, but we together can come into some kind of an encounter with him that we can know him as real as I know this chair. 
then when we've done that, we've got this, this thing that we call church, a community or whatever, that together we are equipped to help people engage to the heart of God. And then by our lives and by the presence that we carry, we can encounter the presence of God together. And then it becomes this cycle of engage, encounter, equip, engage, encounter, equip. You see, we, if we could just communicate, engage, encounter, equip, together we're communicating the same vision. Let me show you something. Joshua 1. Joshua 1. Starts out with one, I think, a very, very sad start. It says, after the death of Moses and the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, not like the son of no one, but the son of Nun, N-U-N, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan. Even Moses didn't experience the promised land. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, listen to this promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, it shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. What if that promise could have been given 40 years earlier? I believe it was just the difference of being in unity. I believe the promise was just as strong 40 years earlier as it is here. Fortunately, I love this. The Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. That he will he will accomplish what he sets out to do. And I, I cautiously say this. And this is nothing, this isn't braggadocious. This has nothing to do with me. I believe there was a man of God. I don't know who it was. I know nothing. But I believe that there was a man of God in place in northeastern Oklahoma that was supposed to take a spiritual awakening this area into a spiritual awakening that did not do that. I don't know who, like I said, I don't know who it was. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at any pastor, any ministry in place here. There are some great pastors and there are some fantastic ministries currently seeking after and doing some incredible things for the, for the kingdom of God. I do not want to diminish, discredit or shut any or put any other ministries down in this area. I honor some ministries. I honor some pastors in this place, in this region. But I believe that God called us here to do something that someone else didn't do. Just straight out. I, like, I, I hesitate to even say it, but it's just us today and the world. <laughs> but 
But I want, I want you to, just, just as this is, God is going to accomplish. It's called sovereignty. God is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And if I mess up, if I miss the mark, the timing will be offset, but God's going to bring someone else in to do what I'm not doing. So there's pressure here, and there's, this is why this is, that's why I'm taking more time on this message than I normally would. You know, I'm normally a 32-minute, 35-minute, and I'm done. We're going longer today. We've got to communicate the same vision, but check this out. How do we get there together? My last point, we simply experience the promise. We experience it. We don't deny it. We don't miss out on it. We don't lack the faith to get there. We don't recognize the obstacles called the giant. We slay the giant and we experience the promise. Let me show you how this looks, coming full force all the way back or all the way forward, however you want to look at it, to where we started this message in the the book of Acts. We read in Acts chapter 1 that they were all together in one accord in prayer. And something glorious happens. In Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2. So in this upper room, 120 of them, and their stinky feet. They're in the same mind and the same purpose. I pray that we are in the same mind and in the same purpose in this place. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrives, arrived. Now, this isn't like, we call the Pentecost like the day the Holy Spirit poured out. They were literally, it was the day of Pentecost. Going back to what I talked about earlier when, when the, the Egyptians were going through some things, right? Or not the Egyptians, the Israelites were going through some things over, under the, 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 the uh, oppression of the Egyptians. The day when the death angel came and went. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together again in one place. I love this. I believe that this is going to be a word for us at some point in the near future. We're going to experience suddenly, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And together, or no, and divided tongues, not like division, but they were just literally, this is just a picture. Uh, Some translations call it cloven tongues. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Really what was happening here is a dude that spoke one language all of a sudden could speak your language fluently. In the same dialect, like... He sounded like he grew up there and learned that language as his primary language. Pretty cool stuff, right? I think if you were in that room and that happened, just the sound of a mighty rushing wind would have been pretty cool. I'd be all right if we were in here and we were worshiping God and it wasn't my computer back there and this low wind going boom, 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 and just this rushing wind sound came in. Might freak us out at first. But you know what? If we've been praying for days, the same prayer and expecting a move of God and that happened, I think we'd be like, sweet, dude, sweet, dude, what's mine say? Sweet, what's mine say? Dude, sorry, Jesus, don't leave us yet. 
funniest scene in any movie ever. Just don't go watch it. Anyway, I say, Lord, do this. Jump. Let's just jump a little bit further. I'm wrapping up right here. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. Look at what happened. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Addressed them. Addressed it. Addressed them. He said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is what happens when we get in unity. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men, they shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's a hard word there for a second. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. I don't want to just have a church service. I don't want to just gather people together and do things like every other thing every other church, every other way. I want to make an impact. I want to touch heaven. I want to experience the presence of God. I want to shake mountains. I want to knock trees down. I want to overcome barriers and obstacles. I want to kick the devil's stronger word than but. I want to do some crazy things. I've been, I've been talking and declaring some pretty bold stuff lately about what we're going to do. We've got to do it together. I can't do it alone. Vanessa and I can't do it alone. Listen, the six, seven, eight of us can't, seven of us can't do it. Adults in the room can't do it alone. But in unity, when God commands the blessing, there's no devil that will be stronger, there's no obstacle. Too high. We can do this. Amen. (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.